0: Good morning and welcome to The Story. We're glad to have you with us today. We've been going through the major narratives of the Bible. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Solomon, the king who had it all. You may be familiar with the story about the frog. You know, you can take a frog and put it in a pot of boiling water. And when it feels that heat, it will jump out immediately. But you can take that same frog... And put it in a pot of lukewarm water and slowly turn up the heat and it will stay in the pot until it boils alive. True story. Oh, by the way, frog legs taste like chicken. I know, my mother-in-law made them for me one time and they're actually quite delicious. But that story about the frog in the lukewarm water boiling to death really stands as a metaphor For the life of King Solomon, because in his midlife, he went astray. It's as if he hopped in the pot of lukewarm water, and he didn't end up so well. He kind of gets it back on straight at the end of his life, but really for a good portion of his life, you could say that Solomon was a very, very wise fool, and he admits it. He tells us that himself. Let's quickly review where we've been. We started way back with Adam and Eve, remember, a number of weeks ago, and and then that fall of mankind, and, and God says through the seed line, we're going to fix this whole thing, but we've got to get a nation going, and so he calls this man named Abraham, and Abraham follows God and starts a nation, and they got sidetracked a little bit, had to spend a little detour down in Egypt, and then the Ten Plagues, and then the Ten Commandments, and then 40 years in the wilderness. Well, through Joshua, they finally end up in the Promised Land. And the twelve tribes are now thriving. And they were supposed to be sort of like missionaries to the rest of us, to the Gentile nations round about. But they kind of got caught up in their own personal lives, like we often all do, right? We kind of turn inward and we think about our needs and our wants and our desires. When everything's going well, God is the furthest thing from our minds. And that was the case with Israel. And they kind of went their own way. And rather than turn the nations towards God, Israel became more and more like the nations. As a matter of fact, they came to Samuel the prophet and said, Samuel, we don't want judges anymore. We don't want prophets anymore. We want a king. Well, I know God's supposed to be king way up there in the sky by and by, but we want an earthly king in the here and now. And this displeased Samuel. But God says, no, we're going to give them exactly what they want. If that's what they want, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And and so God gave them a king Saul, tall, dark, and handsome. But this guy didn't know anything really about God. This man was far from God. He didn't have a heart from God. He didn't get God. And so Israel went down a notch. And then God raised us up a king by the name of who? Second king. David. Now, David, there was a man after God's own heart. Have you ever met a person that you thought, you know, this person really gets me. They, they understand me. They get it. Well, that was David with God. David really got God. He he wasn't a perfect man by any means. God has never had a perfect man. God will never have a perfect man or a perfect woman to work with. But what David had on straight and what he got right was he understood God's heart. And then David dies. And the kings kind of went downhill from there. The glory days, everyone looks back to who? King David. And the seed line of Jesus is through the tribe of Judah that you can relate back to King David. Well, King David's son Solomon becomes the third king of Israel. And although he started off well, he goes through a really, really bad time. Solomon did not understand the heart of God, and he did not represent God well like his father did before him. But let's talk about Solomon today. Let's start off with the things that Solomon did right, okay? The good stuff. Because he did do some good stuff. The first thing that Solomon did right was Solomon pleased God by asking for wisdom. God actually comes to Solomon in a dream. And God actually invites Solomon to ask for whatever he wants. Could you imagine that? Put yourself in Solomon's shoes. God comes to you and he says, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Just tell me what you want. And this is God talking, right? I mean, this is, this is not like your, your mom or your dad coming to you, your birthday's coming up, son, daughter, what do you want? Dad, mom and dad will provide it. You know, you've got limitations. God doesn't. God has zero limitations. And he's just come to you and he said, whatever you want, you can have. What would you ask for? Well, the first thing Solomon did well and what he did right was he asked for wisdom. Wisdom. To rule God's people justly and fairly and righteously. What a good request. We see it in 1 Kings 3, 5 and 9. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. Now it's rare for God to appear to anybody. I think we sometimes think that that miracles were just happening over and over again on a daily basis, an hourly basis, you know, just a, a cursory reading of the Bible, you might think that miracles happen all the time. Not true. In the big scheme of things, in the big scope of time, miracles were very, very rare. God usually sent a prophet to talk to a king. And here God comes to this king, a politician, if you will, in a dream and says, What do you want? Ask for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. Solomon replied, Give me wisdom to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And 1 Kings 3.10 says, Oh, the Lord was pleased. And isn't that a good request? Wouldn't you agree that's a really good thing to ask for? You know, someone saying, oh, give me, give me all the treasures of the, of, the, of the world. Give me all the real estate. Give me all the diamond mines and the gold mines and the rubies and the precious stones. Give me all that stuff. No, 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 no. He asked for wisdom so that he could rule well, and that pleased the Lord. And so God said to him, since you've not asked for this, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, you could ask for all that other stuff. I would have given it. But since you didn't, really what God goes on to say is, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you long life in addition to the wisdom. Because he honored God. He wanted to be a good leader. His intentions were right. His his heart was right in the beginning. And, And he wanted to please God. He wanted to rule well. And so Solomon got wisdom from God. And his wisdom is actually described in chapter 4, beginning with verse 29. Follow along with me here. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight. Wisdom and insight. Those two things go together. Have you ever read something and then had to read it again and again and again and then get commentary on what you read to kind of figure out really what it's saying? You know, Solomon could just read something one time and he got it. Instantly. Insight. And a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashores. He not only read it and got it the first time. He understood it the first time. And then he never forgot it. He became like, well, we grew up in my day. <laughs> this a date me. Hey, does, do kids even know what an Encyclopedia Britannica is anymore? <laughs> you go on the computer, you Google it. or you, you. Solomon was his own Wikipedia, right? I mean, he, he would read it, he would understand it, and he would retain it. I mean, it was just always there before him. And so when he saw the world, he saw so much more than you and I really can understand or conceive. Because this was a miraculous wisdom from God. Now, now don't misinterpret. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things. And you're going to see that as we go through his life. Wisdom really is the application of knowledge. And Solomon didn't always take his own advice, did he? He understood right from wrong, but didn't mean he always did the right thing. But he sure was a smart guy. Solomon's wisdom was greater, the Bible says, than the wisdom of all the men of the East. Who's he talking about? The Persians. You remember when Jesus was born? It said, wise men came from where? The East. And so all that Persian was, they were known as the, the wise men of the day. And then it goes on to say, and greater than all the wisdom of what? Egypt. That would be in the West. Egypt was known for the greatest university of the day, the, the University of the Sun. Moses was educated at that very university. These were guys with credentials. Letters after their names. They're really the smartest guys in the world came from these two places. And the Bible says, Solomon's got those guys beat. Way smarter, way wiser. And then it goes on to say, he was wiser than any other man. You ever watch these uh, mystery movies or crime shows and, and no one can figure out how they did it. And some of these have really intriguing plots, and really intricate details, and stuff that the average person you're watching, you go, wow, I don't get it, how does all this going to come together? And then the smart guy comes in, the, the, the CSI guy, or the Columbo, he comes in and he says, oh, this happened here and this happened there. I love Columbo. He was always kind of figuring things out. And, oh, it's just one more thing, just one more thing. And then he would tie it all together and you're, you're caught. Well, that was Solomon. Solomon could just see the big picture and figure it out instantly. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. And so all the kings and the queens or surrounding nations far and wide are hearing about his fame, his fortune, his wisdom. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. And his songs numbered, watch this, 1,005 we have one in the Bible. You know what it's called? The Song of Solomon." So there's a thousand and four more out there, all right? He described plant life. He knew all about botany, read everything the libraries had on the subject. And once he understood the concept of plant life, he probably wrote a bunch of stuff himself, from the cedars or the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals. He, he studied zoology. And when kings and princes and uh, uh, queens would come, they would come with animals and gifts. And, and he would study about birds and reptiles and fish. And so his wisdom is described. And then, thirdly, his wisdom is put to the test. And we read this very, very famous story. Let me just tell it for brevity of time. It's found in 1 Kings three sixteen to 28 Two women get pregnant. They have baby boys. They live together in the same house. Actually, the Bible says they were prostitutes. Probably lived in a house with other prostitutes. Well, during the night, they were sleeping with their babies, and one of them evidently rolled over on her baby and smothered it, and it died. And she realized that, and then the other mother, she notices her baby's okay, so she exchanges her dead baby for the living baby. You get the picture? See what's going on here? Well, the next morning when this mother wakes up and she goes to feed her baby, she realizes that her baby's dead. But as the sun came up and she could really see her baby, she realized this is not my baby. And when she looks over at the other woman with her baby, she goes, Wait a second, that's my baby. You mothers know your babies, don't you? You know, I'll, I'll go to a nursery or, you know, when you see all, when a baby is born, I can't They all look alike to me, but mothers know. And she says, You've got my baby. And I want my baby back. And she says, No, 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 this is my baby. And, and this goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, right up to the king. And when the king hears about it, you know, kings were judges of sorts and they would take some of the the very, very uh, high matters, and, and they go and they both present their case. And Solomon says, hmm, you're saying it's yours, you're saying it's yours. Uh, somebody bring me a sword. i tell you what I'll do. I'll just cut this baby right in half, and you can have half, and you can have half. And the real mother speaks up. and Oh, my king, please don't touch that baby. Give that baby to her. Rather that that baby live with her than to die by the sword. And Solomon goes, hmm, let's see here. Well, that's the real mother because she'd rather have her son live. This one here was fine with the baby being cut in half. So that one there is a liar and a thief and ought to be punished. And everybody goes, wow, why didn't I think of that? And Solomon was always doing stuff like that. He could just figure stuff out. He was full of wisdom. And so the first thing he does right is he's he pleases God by asking for wisdom. We see his wisdom described, and then we see his wisdom put to the test. And he does that again and again and again. That was a normal part of his life. The second thing Solomon does well, he does right, is he writes his wisdom down so everybody else in his realm and, and, and beyond, we, we've got the Proverbs in the Bible today, and we've got uh, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon. We've got all that in our Book today for us to gain wisdom and insight from. And that's a good thing. Now, you know that the Bible is written uh, topically, not chronology. And so this kind of falls under that section of the Bible you might categorize as poetry. But chronologically, Solomon wrote Proverbs in midlife, he wrote Ecclesiastes, which was the last book. In his at the end of his life and he wrote the songs of Solomon which we get last in our Bible really at the beginning in the younger part of his life. And so that's a good thing. Solomon asks for wisdom. Solomon gleans wisdom from miraculous powers of God and then he writes his wisdom down for the rest of us. Good thing, right Solomon? Won't we all say amen? Yay Solomon, good stuff. Thirdly, Solomon builds a temple for God. That's the third thing that Solomon did right. And uh, whenever you obey God, your popularity goes up. I mean, word about him is spreading all the way out to, to foreign nations and to foreign kings and queens and dignitaries as they hear about his story. And, um, and, and I'm not sure how correct this picture is behind me of this beautiful temple that he, that he built But in chapters 6 through 10 of the Bible, we read about this fabulous temple of Solomon. If you'll notice, it's got all these outer courts and these porches and these colonnades. As a matter of fact, um, this thing was huge. It was like one of the wonders of the world at the time, although the temple itself where you would walk through and there would be that laven of cleansing the, where the sacrifices actually took place would be the next thing you would see. And then you would see the holy place, which only the priests could go into. And, and, and there you would have your table of showbread. You would have uh, the seven golden candlesticks. You would you'd have the altar, uh, the incense that went up to God day and night. And then you'd have this curtain. And then that smallest section was called what? The holy of holies the most holy place you have the holy place and the most holy place and only the high priest could go in there and he could only go in there once a year and not without blood he had to be covered before going into the presence of god although god does not dwell in temples made by man uh, he's not confined to that but he shows up on the dedication of this wonderful temple that was built to his honor and to his glory And after captivity, after captivity, after captivity, and the temple being decimated and destroyed and rebuilt, it was never as grand as in the days of King Solomon. As a matter of fact, you'll read later on as we go through the story, they're taken into captivity, and then 70 years later they're released, and when they go back they rebuild the temple And all the young people are just amazed. Look at this thing. Isn't this marvelous? Isn't this wonderful? And some of the older people that remember Solomon's temple, they weep and they say, oh, these young kids don't know what they're talking about. The temple that Solomon built, now that was a temple. And so it's a glorious thing. And he did it well. And God shows up and he fills the temple with his presence. This cloud kind of engulfs the whole thing so much that the priest can't even perform their duties because the presence of God is just so strong. But God gives him a warning. God gives Solomon a very stern warning. And throughout the Bible, haven't we been sort of reading a pattern? If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do that, you're in trouble. If, 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 if. Most of the promises in the Bible are conditional. And let's just read this one together. Look up here on the screen. This one's found in 1 Kings chapter 9. As for you, what's the next word? If, say it with me, if, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did. See, David's the pattern. David, remember, not perfect, but he got God. He understood God. He had a heart for God. If you do it like your father did and do all I command you and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne for how long? Forever. Here's the good part. Here's the blessing. You do this, I will do that. Just as I promised David when I said you shall never fail to have a man on your throne of Israel. Next verse. As for you. Next verse. Didn't we already do this one? But, what's the next word? If you or your sons turn away from me, and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Well, who would do that? What would the nations think if this temple got torn down? Keep reading. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all the people. And that's not going to bother me. I'm I'm telling you, you want to be blessed, do this, and it's not going to bother me to discipline you in this way. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them, that is why the Lord brought all this disaster to them. Blessing, cursing. And you know what? The same thing happens today. God says, here are my Ten Commandments. Now you choose which ones you want to follow. You follow them, you'll be blessed. You break them, there's going to be... curse upon that. See, you don't break God's commandments without them breaking you. And so the principle is there for all of us, even to this day. So anyway, that's now we're going to see next week, we're going to get into a divided kingdom. We're going to see even today that Solomon did not take heed to the words that the Lord had spoken to him. But he's still enjoying the glory days. He's still in his youth. The kingdom has been expanded. The temple has been built. His palatial palace has now been built. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful project that he's built. And as his popularity grows and word about his wisdom spreads, the Queen of Sheba shows up. And she wants to hear his wisdom and see the things that she heard about from others. And she comes bearing gifts, camel loads of gold and precious stones and more spices than he had ever seen in his entire life. And she just wants to sit at Solomon's feet and ask him question after question. And every question she asks, there's an answer. And she's blown away by his wisdom. Blown away by his answers. He gets, she probably gets personal tours of the, the temple and, 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 his, and his palace and his hanging gardens and all the stuff that goes along with it. And here's what she says about Solomon. She says, you know, when I was way over there, people would come and tell me about you and this place. And and, and I just couldn't believe it was all true. But now that I see with my eyes and I hear with my ears your wisdom, the half has not yet been told. That's impressive, isn't it? That was Solomon in his glory days. What did he do right? He pleased God by asking for wisdom. He wrote that wisdom down, and he built a temple to the Lord. But here's a biggie, folks, and here's that pattern that you see going on again and again and again. People turning to idols. What Solomon did wrong was he turned out to be a wise fool. And he admits it. In his own words, he admits it. Let me read some of them to you. Ecclesiastes 2. Remember, Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life. He's now an old man. He's writing this stuff down, all the life lessons that he's now learned. He says, I became by far, I became greater by far than than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I was greater than everybody else, and I still retained my wisdom, is what he's saying. I denied myself nothing. <laughs> Talk about a self-indulgent individual, right? I denied myself nothing my eye desired. He was a very inquisitive person. He not only wanted to know about botany and zoology and architecture and all that sort of stuff, but he, he wanted to know about, you know, even some of the darker things of life, stuff that he didn't understand, and he delved into it, he says, I refused my heart no pleasure, and also madness and folly. He wanted pleasure, he wanted happiness, and he denied himself nothing that he thought might make him happy. You know, you ask the average parent today, if I were to ask you, what do you want for your kids? You know what you would say? Oh, I want them to be happy. Wrong answer. What do you want for your life? Oh, I just want to be happy. Wrong answer. Solomon said, I tried that. I tried happiness. I, I really tried it all. As a matter of fact, he, he goes so far as to say, I even delved into madness and folly. It's like he's, have you ever met one of those kind of guys that just says, you, you, they're about to do something. He says, no, don't do that. You've got to be crazy to try that. Yeah, I know, but I just got to try it. I got to know what it's like. That was Solomon. He delved into madness and folly. And, and he even tells you, if you read, read all of this, we don't have time for it today, but you'll find that he, he tried laughter. You know, he said, if I just laugh my head off, I'll be happy all the time. And so, you know, he was rich enough that he could hire all the, all the best court jesters, you know, to come and make him laugh. All the late night comedians, you know, they were at his house. You know, he'd watch them on TV. We actually, had personal appearances with these guys. This was before TV, right? And then he says, you know, I tried drinking, you know, I got into booze, you know, so he went to all the best club, I mean, this guy, when he went club, and it was the, they closed the place down, he invited all his friends, he threw the biggest parties, so I tried that, I didn't find happiness there. He says, I tried um, great projects, I mean, the, the, the temple was a huge project, but so was his palace, that was a huge thing as well, and... Um, <laughs> And it was that taxpayer expense. I mean, you love spending money when it's other people's money, don't you? And he, would, he did constrictive slavery to come and work. Because that's, you know, remember, God says, you're going to get a king. A king's going to be taxing you and making you work and taking your sons and daughter, putting them in the military. He's going to do all that stuff to you. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. Well, he got his nice palace. But it was a great project, and he was in charge of it. He says, I tried possessions. So just think about this. He had the best cars, boats, houses, and money. Did I say cars? I meant chariots, all right? He had a Porsche chariot. More money than he could ever spend. And yet, he says, when I survey all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was what? What's the next word? Meaningless, exactly. From the wisest man that ever lived, that tried more things than you could even dream about trying, he says, I've tried it all. And it's meaningless. A chasing after the wind. See, you can't buy happiness. You really can't. And the Bible doesn't say, I came that you might be happy. He said, I came that you might be saved. I came that you might be joyful. See, when you're saved, now you're joyful. You can be like the Apostle Paul in prison. Paul and Silas, you know, chained in prison, have just taken a beating and singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Why? They can't take your joy away from you. Happiness comes and goes. You know, you can go to the happiest place on earth, they say, here in Anaheim. And while you're there, you're happy. But once you leave, now you're sad again. But you know what? Hand tired. <laughs> Walk your legs off, right? Stand in a lot of lines, eat expensive food that you can make at home for a dollar, and you spend it ten, right? Well, I think what Solomon is saying in this verse is: even, even really intelligent, smart guys can make dumb choices. Wisdom doesn't guarantee you're going to do the right thing. And his biggest downfall of all was he had seven hundred wives and three hundred porcupines. I mean concubines. You know what a concubine is, right? All right. So this guy, he I know some of his marriages were, you know, political and making alliances and that sort of stuff, but this guy went way, way overboard. And those wives led him into worshiping idols, and that was his downfall. Solomon says, I should have listened to God rather than doing what I felt like doing. See, did Solomon read the story of Adam and Eve, which we, in the book we call Genesis today? Yeah, he read it. He had the first five books of the Bible. He had the Pentateuch. He knew that God created one man for one woman for life, and God said, this is very good. This is very good. I think when he's looking back on his life and saying, why didn't I listen to God? Why why didn't I obey God? And for those of you that aren't married this morning, find yourself one... If you're a man, find yourself a good Christian woman. Marry her, love her, take care of her the rest of your life. If you're a Christian woman, find yourself a godly spiritual man, a Christian, and you stay married, get the knot tied good and tight, do things God's way, get married first... Then move in together, live together for the rest of your life, for better or for worse, sickness and health, till death you part, both apart. Okay, That's God's plan. And I think Solomon's looking back in his life saying, why didn't I just listen to the simplicity of God's plan in the Garden of Eden? I wish I would have listened, but I did not listen. He writes some really, really good stuff, though. One of my favorite passages is from Solomon, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I bet Solomon wishes he had taken his own advice. But he didn't. And so God became very, very angry with Solomon. Because Solomon now has a divided heart. Yes, he wants to serve God. But you know what? He ends up trying to please 700 wives, and they all had 700 gods. And it's really hard to do that. Very, very difficult. His heart's divided, and in 1 Kings eleven four, 4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He married foreign women with foreign gods. It wasn't that he married out of his race. Don't read that into the Bible. That's not what it's saying. It's he married women of a different faith that worship idols. That's the key. I mean, we know that Ruth was a Moabite and she proselyted into the kingdom and she became a child of God. We know that Uriah the Hittite became proselyted into the kingdom of God. So it's not a racial thing, it's a faith thing. But you say, well, you know, if they could do it, why can't we do it? Well, because Ruth and Uriah were exceptions to the rule. They were not the rule. You know what the rule is? Here's a good rule of thumb, 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Evil companions corrupt what? Good morals. In other words, that's just the Bible's way of saying, if you think you're going to marry this fellow over here that's out running around, carousing around, not following God, doing his own thing, his own will, following his own heart, doesn't have a heart for God, you think you can marry him and bring him up, chances are he's going to bring you down. Very rare exceptions that it goes the other way. I know what happened. Probably started off very, very innocent. He goes over to Egypt, and there he finds one beautiful Egyptian woman. And he says, will you? And she says, I sure will. But if I'm leaving father and mother and cleaving to you, and i got to live way over there in Israel, can I bring a few of my things with me? Oh, sure, darling, anything you want. And she, you know, packs up her hope chest and she brings some of her trinkets and some family heirlooms. But then she brings a few of her idols. And she says, why don't I bring a few of my priests to go along with me? And she goes over there to Israel and now idols have entered the Holy Land. And she begins worshiping them. And then Solomon builds this fabulous temple for God. And she sees that structure and she goes, wow. Solomon, you got this big old temple to worship in. Can can I build just a little tiny shrine next to it? Just a little one, not not a big one. And Solomon's, yeah, yeah. What's it going to hurt? Sure, honey, go ahead, do whatever you want. And then she says, you know, I'm always going over to the temple there with you. How about coming over to my little shrine sometime? And slowly but surely, he gets led astray. You know the difference between Solomon and David. David never would have allowed even one idol to enter the promised land, much less build a temple to an unholy God. It was his downfall. And because Solomon's heart was divided, God says, your kingdom is going to be divided. In 1 Kings 11, 9-13, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Who had appeared to him, how many times, folks? Twice. That is very, very rare for God to even appear once to a politician. They normally can't, even David had Nathan the prophet come to him, right? Samuel the prophet, anointing him. He gets an appearance by God twice, very rare, Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Can anyone say Jeroboam? Did you read ahead for next week? We're going to talk about him. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not... Do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Can you say the word, the name Rehoboam? Yet, I will not tear the whole kingdom from you, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The kingdom is about to be divided, and that's where we're going next week. I leave you with one final word of wisdom from Solomon himself. He says, you've heard my whole story. You've heard it all. The good, the bad, the ugly. He leaves nothing uncovered. And then he writes in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In other words, he's saying throughout all time, For us living today, and Woodier this morning, he's saying, Church, here's the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep His commandments. I know there's going to be things in life that will be your will. And here's God's will. Listen to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You so much for this um, wonderful wisdom that that we gleaned from Solomon. Thank you for this challenge, this challenge from Solomon himself who learned the hard lesson by not following his own advice. Help us to do your will and stay out of trouble. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, well, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you're in trouble. If you want out of trouble, do the wise thing this morning. Trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Repent of your sins, put your full faith in Him, and put Him on in baptism this morning. If that's you, let us know right now as together we stand and sing to the Lord.